Erev Tov, good evening. We are finishing up the final sugya before Pesach. And I'm going to do my best tonight to do this sugya in its entirety tonight. Amen. And in order to do this sugya tonight, it means that tonight's shiur will not be rushed, but it will be very dense. So it will be full of information, and I'm going to try to get through all of it tonight, B'zad Hashem, so that next week we can dedicate our shiurim for the preparation of the upcoming holiday of Pesach. Tonight's shiur is dedicated to the speedy recovery of our dear friend Ozer Ben Lea, Arthur Platt from Los Angeles, who's right now in the ICU in Los Angeles. He's not in good condition. And he's waiting any moment, hopefully for a, a heart donor. So we have it in mind in our tefillot. In the merit of everything he's done for the Jewish community, but particularly for our community, the Sefer Torah that's behind me, HaKadosh Baruch should send him a complete healing and only joy to him and his family. If you have a Talmud in front of you, you're going to be literally in the last line of page 2b, Bet Amud Bet. If you have the En Yaakov in front of you, you're going to be in what they call Sugya Dalid. So Sugya number 4. If you're going to be using the PDF that I attached to the Zoom invitation, you want to open up the PDF that's attached to the Zoom invitation in the Google Classroom. It says En Yaakov. You want to click on that. And Yaakov, you want to scroll to the page that says Bet on the top right of the page. You're going to be at the last page of page 2B. The last 2B, so we're skipping a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, a whole lot. That's right. Rabbi Yaakov ben Khabib. It should say, Amal Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef says, Tonight's sugya is literally all of a sentence. In the actual Talmud, the Gemara debates back and forth right now about various halachic times. But there was one last sentence that Rabbi Yaakov ben Khabib felt was important to include in a conversation that has to do with Agadah. He writes the following. Amar Rabbi Yosei, Rabbi Yosei says, yes. Amar Rabbi Yosei, Rabbi Yosei says, Ben Hashem Ashot, twilight. Do you remember we discussed Ben Hashem Ashot earlier? It's the time between the suns. Ben Hashem Ashot, twilight. And I, you're not going to be using the American definition of twilight, rather this halachic definition of, twi- of Ben Hashem Ashot. Keheref ayin is like the blink of an eye. What does it mean that Ben Hashem is like the blink of an eye? Zenichnas vezeyotze. This one enters and this one exits. V'yifshar le'amod alav. And it's impossible to stand on it, literally. But meaning you cannot discern when is Ben Hashem See, here there's a conversation, the Gemara, 
there's a machloket between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. One who says that the Ben Hashemashot period, there's time. Let's do it together. If you look at the bottom of the En Yaakov that I attached as a PDF, there's a commentary there. It says Etz Yosef. See Etz Yosef? Etz Yosef at the bottom writes the following. It's the last four lines in the right column. If you don't have it in front of you, don't worry. We're not going to get stuck on this. Ratzal Omari means to say, Di'ita b'Shabbat, we say in Masechet Shabbat on page 34b. Tanu Rabbanan, a rabbi said, Ben Hashem Ashot, Safek min hayom min halayla. Ben Hashem Ashot is a doubt as to whether it's day or night. Safek kulam min hayom, Safek kulam min halayla. Ve'ezehu Ben Hashem Ashot, when is Ben Hashem Ashot? Mishetishaka achama kozman shepnei mizrach ma'adimin. It's from when the sun sets, but so long as the horizon is red, that's still considered Ben Hashem Ashot. Divrei Rabbi Yehuda. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. What does it mean? That the sunset, from when the sun sets, it's red outside. It's red outside, that lasts until it gets dark outside. How much time is that? Give me an amount of time. From sunset till three stars come out. Not even three stars come out, no. From sunset, until the sky gets black. I mean, a few minutes. A few minutes, yeah, a few minutes. A few minutes. Rabbi Nechemia Omer, G'day She'elech Adam, Mishtishrach Hama Chatzimin. A person can walk from sunset about half a mile distance. Not relevant right now. Rabbi Yosei Omer, Rabbi Yosei says, Ben Hashem Ashot, Keherev Ayin. That sun, the twilight, is like the blink of an eye. Pirush meaning, that there's nothing to be in, there's nothing to stand on, it's like a blink of an eye. And not like this longer length of time that Rabbi Yudas says. And Rashi in Masech HaJabad explains, like the blink of an eye, like when a person blinks their eyes, not when they close their eyes, when they blink their eyes. Blink your eye, not hard, no, as she says, lightly, blink your eye. That's how long Ben Hashem Ashot is. Meaning, it's very fast. Piresh Rashi, Halayla Nichnas, the day, the night enters, Vahayom Yotze, and the night exits. That one literally goes after the next. You ever been in one of those revolving doors into a hotel? Where one person enters, the other person is in, that's exactly, there's no moment of time where there's not either day or night. And when they're just passing each other, that's considered twilight. And 
And it's impossible to discern when exactly is Ben Hashem So let's not say that anybody here is arguing in terms of reality for how long does the sun actually sit. Their question is the status of day and night we know in Halakha. Twilight status is a little more complicated. And so what, what are they saying? According to Rabbi Yehuda and according to Rabbi Nechemiah, can you tell me when is going to be twilight? According to the first two opinions, how long is Ben Hashemashot? No, no, that's the last opinion. The first two opinions. So it's a few minutes. A few minutes, yeah, Marlene's right. A few minutes. And Rabbi comes along and says, no, it's like the blink of an eye. This enters, this exits. And it's impossible to discern this time. You can't stand on this time. I want to introduce you to a commentary that we have never done together. But it's an exciting commentary. And for this, you're going to need the PDF of En Yaakov that I sent out in the Google Classroom. So you're going to want to go to the PDF that's attached to the Zoom invitation, the bottom of the Zoom invitation. Um, anyone know, anyone in that PDF and can tell me what, what page that's on in the PDF? Yeah. It's on the fourth PDF page. The fourth PDF page. Okay, wonderful. So if you look on the fourth PDF page on the right hand column, there's a commentary called Habone. Habone, the builder. Have you ever seen this commentary before? No. No. It's one of the most famous commentaries in the Enyakov. Let's look up his name. So if you go to the cover page, right before this, maybe on page one or two of the PDF that you have in front of you, there should be a cover page that says, Any Yaakov in big letters. Do you see that cover page? Is that page one? Page two? Have you guys with me tonight? Okay. En Yaakov, the commentary Habone, is written by Moreno Harav Yehuda Aryeh de Modena. Rabbi Yehuda Aryeh of Modena. Modena. Have you heard of Rabbi Yehuda Aryeh de Modena before? I've quoted him before. The question is, do you remember who he is? Otherwise known as Rabbi Leon Modena in academic circles. Didn't he write a whole work on Attack on the Zohar? Very good. He wrote a book, a famous book, called Arinohem, the Roaring Lion, uh, which is an attack on the Zohar, Kabbalah, in general, the whole... Uh, world of Kabbalah 
he proves or tries to prove, it depends who you ask, uh, the fact that the Kabbalah is not an authentic part of Jewish tradition. I own that book as well as a few responses to that book. So I have one of the three responses of the Ramchal to that book, Rabbi Mushachim Lutato. Uh, I also have the response of Rabbi Eliyahu ben Amuzeg to that book. There's a book that I can recommend about the life of Rabbi Leon Modena, Rabbi Yudari Modena. It's called, well, it's a pink book, and the reason why I recommend it is because he wrote it. It's the autobiography of a 17th century Venetian rabbi. Rabbi Yudari Modena was a prolific author, was a fascinating personality, a very difficult, very complicated personality. And he, he wrote a book called Chaye Yehuda. I have a Hebrew version of it. This is the translation of the Hebrew version of his life story. So he wrote his own biography, and it's translated into English now, and you're welcome to read it. I found it on Amazon, I think. There's also a book I recently got, but I've not yet read, though from the other books of this author that I've read, I can feel comfortable recommending the book. This book is by a professor, Jacob Dweck. It's called The Scandal of Kabbalah, Leon Modena, Jewish Mysticism, and Early Modern Venice. So I'm not here to say that Kabbalah is a scandal. That's just the title of the book. And if you would want to start somewhere, I definitely recommend starting with Rabbi Leon Modena's own autobiography. And he writes the following in his comments to this piece of the Talmud. If you pull up the En Yaakov, uh, the Zoom invitation at the bottom, there's one that says En Yaakov. We're on page four of that PDF. Yes, Agarata, En Yaakov. Yeah, on page four. All the way in the right column, it says Habone, a commentary called Habone. This is Rabbi Yehuda Ariyeh Modena. He says the following. Amar Rabbi Yosef, Ben Hashem Ashot Kherev Ayin. Rabbi Yosef's opinion is that twilight is like the blink of an eye. It's interesting. Why is this opinion quoted here? There are three other opinions, or two other opinions. Why are they not mentioned? Why does Rabbi Yaakov Ben Khabib choose to leave this snippet? This snippet must have a Gadic value. As he writes the following, there's a message to be learned from here. And tonight we're going to do three lessons. One from Rabbi Yudariya de Modena, one from the Ben Ishchai, and one from Harav Kuk, So, Anayim Hashanah, all of them. Yore gedulato v'tifa. Can you just point out where we are on the Yes, we're in the PDF called, we're in the PDF called Agarata and Yaakov. We're on page four, that's going to say bet on the top of the page. And you want to be in the rightmost column like the, the sub-commentary column. Halfway down the page, it's say, Habone. You see that? Found it? Yeah, thank you. Perfect. It writes the following. This sentence shows the greatness of the Creator. That only the Creator of the universe can discern exactly that split-second moment 
of time between day and night. Like our rabbis say in Bereshit Rabbah, Al Vayichal Elohim Bayom Hashavi'i. That Hakadosh Baruch Hu on the seventh day, what does it say about him? Hakadosh Baruch Hu Shuhu Yodeh Etav Ugaav Shautav. That Hakadosh Baruch Hu knows the time, the minutes, the moments, the hours. Nichnas Bo Kechut Asara. He entered exactly in that thin hair space. Nechen Anu Amrim B'Tfinat Arvit, and we all say in Arvit. One of the things we praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu for is that he brings the evening, the day, we say this in Arvit, in the Shema Yisrael, right before Shema Yisrael. And that may, Adonai this is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Master of Legions. What's so special about knowing to discern between night and day? Is that this blink of an eye time period is one that only HaKadosh Baruch Hu really knows. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu really knows exactly when the day ends and the night begins. We can't. That, that moment of time is literally like the blink of an eye, says Rabbi Yosef. And because of that, we can't stand on it, meaning we cannot discern it. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu can discern it. Very good. So this, this is very reminiscent of that, actually. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is angry for a split second of the day. And again, can you exactly imagine, they mentioned a thing about Bil'am, that he was figuring out exactly that time period. The ability of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to know exact time is found all over the place. If you recall, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, now Pesach is coming, he tells him, Chatzot Laila, I'm going to come in the middle of the night and I'm going to redeem you. But when Moshe Rabbeinu tells the story over to Parol, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to redeem them, what does he say? He changes one letter. It's going to be about midnight. About midnight HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to save us. What do you mean about midnight? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said midnight. It's going to be late. What's going to happen? HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't come on time. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Jewish, but not that Jewish. What does it mean? Rather, says the Gemara. What does the Gemara say? Rabbi Yosef? Yes, so, um, there wouldn't be like a Hirul Hashem where the Egyptians would calculate midnight would be different than the true midnight and say, Ah, see, Moshe is a Shekhar Navi, Navi Shekhar. Very good. Because they didn't want, the, the, listen, Akadosh Baruch is going to come midnight, but who says Paro's uh, crew has their watch to the exact time? What's going to happen is that it'll be 12.01. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't show up. Ah, your God's a liar. Because of that. So they had time for sure. But what HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows is, let's say, atomic time of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? The level above atomic time. Exactly when true midnight is, they don't know. Or they might know, but they might have made a mistake. Whatever would have happened. They're, you ever sit in, in a car and your watch tells you one time and your car dial tells you another? That happens in the world. I guess it depends how old of a car you drive, but my car still does that. I have to make sure it matches up to my iPhone. I, I agree with that. And I think that we're not saying that you need to know the exact point of time, but that HaKadosh Baruch is able to discern, and that's what's so special about this piece, and that's why... Rabbi uh, Yaakov ben Chabib included this sentence in Zayn Yaakov according to Rabbi Yehuda Aryeh de Modena. Let's look at a different opinion. 
Okay, let's go somewhere else. I attached a PDF to the Google Classroom, to the Zoom invitation, to a book called Benayahu. Benayahu is a work written by the Benish Chai. So if you go to the Zoom invitation, even those of you who didn't used to learn with me via Zoom, you're now exactly one year into Zoom. You should, today, Mamas, right? You should be able I think Sunday is going to be one month, one year. You should be able by now to find a PDF in the Zoom invitation. You go to the Google Classroom and the Zoom invitation, the bottom of the Zoom invitation, it says attachments. One of those attachments is going to be a PDF with the title Ben Ayahu. Normally when we study Ben Ishchai together on the Talmud, we study from his other book, Ben Yehoyada. But now we're studying from Benayahu. Tell me what the different who is Benayahu and who is Ben Yehoyada? Who are these people? That's a trick question. It's the same person. It's the same person. Benayahu Ben Yehoyada. Benayahu, the son of Yehoyada. The Ben Ishchai, when he came to Eretz Israel, he prayed at a grave, supposedly, of, uh, I think, of Benayahu Ben Yehoyada. And he claims to have received some kind of vision that he was a reincarnation of Benayahu Ben Yehoyada. So, so he chose to name all of his books Ben Ishchai, Ben Ishchai, all these books are named after Benayahu Ben Yehoyada. Let's look together on page one, two, three, four, five of the PDF. It should be the last page of the PDF. Masechet Berachot, Perik Rishon. Ben Ishchai writes the following words. Daf Bet Amud Bet. So this corresponds to Berachot, page 2b. Amar Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef says, Ben HaShemashot Keherav Ayin. Twilight is like the blink of an eye. Chavad is going to invoke ideas of Kabbalah. I don't want you to get lost. So what I need you to do is, even if you're not following along the text, to remember the things that we're saying right now, at least for the next three paragraphs. Because the next three paragraphs, as the Ben Ishchai always does, is going to be weaving in a story. And he's weaving all these pieces together. At the end, it's going to mean something. Just work through it with me. The Ben Ishchai writes the following. It appears to me with the Kadosh Baruch help, there's an illusion in this sentence. So this is not what the sentence of Talmud actually means. But there's something you can learn from this sentence, and perhaps this is the agadic value that this sentence has. Yadua, it's a known thing. Ha'ashir ba'al ha'tzedakah nimshan l'ashemesh. That the wealthy person who gives tzedakah corresponds to the sun. A sun gives light, it gives heat. Ki hu zanatani delet le'megarme kelum. Because the wealthy person nurtures, nourishes, sustains the poor person who doesn't have anything on his own. Dugmata Shemesh Amira Bilvana Shi Khashukha Valetla Megama Kenu. 
just like the sun gives to the moon, which has nothing on its own, the wealthy person gives to the poor person who has nothing on his own. The source for that is the Zohar in Parashat Vayichi. So how is the wealthy person compared to the sun? Because he has everything, and he gives to the less fortunate than him, to the moon. And that way he's similar to a sun. And because the wealthy person does two types of chesed, one with his money and one with himself, his body. The person gives tzedakah, also gives food, also gives whatever else it is, the action of giving. So he's passing off money, but he's giving something. And that's why a wealthy person should really be referred to as Ben Hashemashot, between the two sons. Because he's comparable to the son. In two ways he gives. And he says, like the blink of an eye. So now we have to start reading it like, like the Ben Ishchai. Rabbi Yosef says, Ben Hashemashot. Twilight. Don't read twilight. Rather, Ben Hashem means the wealthy person. A wealthy person, Keheref Ayn, is like the blink of an eye. How is a wealthy person like the blink of an eye? Ratzan Omar, he means to say, Ikar Hashevach Shano, the main praise of a wealthy person, who bezman shebnei adam hamitsuim hem ma'alimim enehem in tzedakah, when does a wealthy person really shine? When everybody else has their eyes closed. What does it mean when everyone else has their eyes closed? When other people are not aware of the injustice that is happening. They're not aware of the poor person. Or they close their eyes, meaning they look the other direction. They're uncomfortable. They don't want to deal with it. I see, I'm in the intersection all the time. There's a homeless person asking for money. It's a few people. There's the people who roll up in the window and give them something. There's the people who move a lane over. There's the people who close their windows, lock their doors. Then there's the people who, while they're doing all of the above, they're looking awkwardly away to a different direction so as not to make eye contact with the poor person. What's going to happen if you make eye contact with the poor person? Chas v'shalom, that person might become human to you. And if chas v'shalom, that homeless person becomes human to you, all of the sdom that America put inside of you, that you shouldn't give money to poor people, that poor people use money for drugs, that homeless people are using for alcohol, but all the shtuyot, how many, how many drugs can you buy for a dollar? Come on. All of the sheker that has been imbued into us from the sdom society, we close our eyes. It's awkward for it. We can't make a person into a human being. If this person is human, and it's raining, or it's hot, or it's cold, and they don't have a shoes, they don't have a, then, then we have to feel bad for them. But we can't possibly feel bad for them. So we close our eyes. So who's the wealthy person? When does he shine? When everybody else has their eyes closed. When their eyes are closed, that, what happens? That's when he shines. That's his moment to give tzedakah. When nobody else cares. Well, <coughs> And that's why he says, Ben Hashem Ashot, that the wealthy person who's like the Ben Hashem between the two sons, because he does two types of chesed, 
בזמן שבני האדם מרפים עיניהם מן העניים. And the moments in which people close their eyes for the plight of the poor. There's a book. I'm not certain that I've understood it all entirely, but it's called The Triumph of Poverty by Chacham David Nieto. Have you heard of Chacham David Nieto? Rabbi Yosef, you're, you're nodding your head yes, but you're probably one of the few. Rabbi David Nieto was the rabbi of this... You probably have a book of his, Mated Dan, the staff of Dan. He was the rabbi of the Spanish-Portuguese community back in the day in London. Chacham Faur believed very much that Sir Isaac Newton used to study with Chacham Davinieto. He has proof to this. He has a shiur online. He gave in Hebrew about this. Chacham Davinieto wrote a book, a small booklet. It was a sermon he gave in the United Kingdom that's been translated now into English, into French, a few different languages. And it's called The Triumph of Poverty. It's something that's wor- it's worth reading. It costs maybe three or four dollars on the internet. You could buy it. Shema'alimim enehem v'sotmim enehem levilti yiru ba'onyam b'dokham v'tokhem That most people close their eyes so they don't have to see the suffering, the poverty, the need of the poor. This tzedakah is an even greater form of tzedakah. Now you're going to have to listen to the Ben Yishchai and he's going to explain himself at the end of the sentence. But just listen to the sentence. This power of tzedakah, when other people ignore the poor, has the ability to imbue the letter kaf into the word lender and it will become kingdom. Because malve and melucha, lender and kingdom, are the same word in Hebrew. One has a chaf and one doesn't. So this tzedakah has a power to add the word kaf, letter chaf. kaf min and it will take out the word letter chaf from the word milchshol, stumbling block. shalom, and the only letters that will be left are the letters shalom, peace. Because it is known that tzedakah is alluded to in the letter kaf. Because if you look in the Torah, the parasha that has to do with giving charity starts with the letter kaf and it ends with the letter kaf. Like it says in Devarim, when there will be an impoverished among you. What's the first letter? Kaf. And then it ends off, that there will be the poor person in your land, that also ends with the letter Kaf. And therefore this Kaf is a very important letter. So. This Kaf is an important letter. Now he's going to explain what he means. And it's known, that Tzedakah increases peace in the world. Like it says in Yeshayahu, chapter 32, that the act of tzedakah is peace. That the wealthy person who gives tzedakah is called a lender. Because 
But a wealthy person who gives tzedakah does not merit to go to the next world with those who study Torah. But if a person gives tzedakah to Torah scholars, to those who learn Torah, then he merits not only to go to the next world, but to go to the next world with those who study Torah. And those who study Torah are called kings. Rabbis say, Man Malke, who are the kings? Rabbanan, the rabbis are the kings. This is a famous teaching, by the way, when I spoke recently at Max and Talia's wedding, I said that you have to stand up for a chadan and How a peret was once on a bus, and Rav Yashiv was on the bus. And he asked Rav Yashiv a question, whether... Whether or not you have to give, or whether a, a rabbi has to stand, Tamich Ramat to stand up for a Khatanakana. And Rabbi Yashif said, No, they don't have to. Why? Because a king who is a king his whole life, and a king who's only a king for a week, doesn't have to stand up for one for the minute. The, they have to stand up for the king who's really a king, and he doesn't have to stand up. But he said it's a good thing to do for Dechheret. Temporary. Temporary, so it's not Therefore, a wealthy person, as I told you, it's going to get long, but you're going to have to hold your head because it's going to make sense. Hopefully. The wealthy person who gives tzedakah is called a lender. But if he does tzedakah for those who study Torah, he will then become a king. Remember that chaf that the Ben Shai said that the chaf will turn a lender into a king? That when a person does tzedakah for those who study Torah, the letter chaf gets added to his title of a lender, a malveh, and all of a sudden he becomes part of the melucha. And in the next world, he will spend his time with those who study Torah. And then he said the other side, that it can turn a mikshol, a stumbling block, into shalom, into peace. V'od yesh lakoach leotzi kaf min mikshol. Tzedakah has the power to take the chaf out of the mikshol. Hu ha that's the evil inclination. Because the Yetzara is that which always causing us to stumble, and therefore it's called a Mikshol, a stumbling block. Like Yeshayahu, the prophet of blessed memory, wrote in chapter 57. Remove the obstacle, the stumbling block from in the way of my people. And tzedakah is what breaks the yetzara, what sub- forces the yetzara into submission. Tzedakah has the power to take a yetzara and turn him into a stumbling block, michshon, get rid of the chaf and turn him into the letter shalom. Like Daniel writes. That in the merit of tzedakah, that has the power of the letter chaf, it will remove the chaf from the word mikshon and it will make peace. But tzedakah, of course it breaks your yetzara. Your money, 
that you work hard for, that you spend time on, now you give it to somebody else for free. Your yetah, Allah says, don't do it. But you break it, and you say, no, I'm going to give the tzedakah to somebody else. That's what he means to say, Ben Hashemashot, twilight is the wealthy person. If he does tzedakah, if he does tzedakah when people are not paying attention to the poor. That's what Rabbi Yosef means when he says that Ben Hashemashot happens when people's eyes are closed. The wealthy person gives tzedakah and people's eyes are closed. And what does the Yosef say? This one enters and this one exits and no one is able to discern it. You remember that sentence? What does it mean this one enters and this one exits? This letter chaf enters. This letter chaf exits. Ot kaf rishon shela nichnas bemalve v'yeh melucha v'ot kaf acharon shela yotze min nichshon v'yishayar shalom that those letters get switched in the merit of tzedakah, that a person goes from being a lender to being royalty, and they go from having a stumbling block to having only peace in their life. Rebbe says tzedakah is powerful. What kind of tzedakah? All kinds of tzedakah. Physical tzedakah, financial tzedakah. Elchanan, come back here please. You're making a lot of noise over there. Or just play, but don't make a lot of noise, okay? Thank you, Sudi. And the power of this kind of tzedakah when other people are not paying attention to the poor is that what it does is it takes away the khaf, it adds in a khaf, and that's exactly what Rabbi Yosei is alluding to in this teaching. This is not even really Kabbalistic as much as it is the, it's, when we say you could study the Torah in a few, four different ways and we always say remez, illusion, you're alluding to things. What is remez? This is a remez. Remez is, it's, it's, it's alluding to things, concepts. I mean, that's definitely not what Rabbi Yosem meant. It's not Kabbalah, and, uh, it's not Sod, it's not... Uh, but it's, it's something deeper than what's written there. That's right, I agree. Yes. Now I want to do one last section of the Ben Chai with you, because this one is different, it's a different Pshat. But it's beautiful. Skip the next paragraph where it starts with Uvaze and go to the paragraph where it says Vehosif. Vehosif. You see this? It's in the left column on page 5 of the PDF of Benayahu. And the first word is Vehosif. You see that? If you're in the Benayahu and you're on page 5, the Shabbat Aleph at the bottom left of the page, you count down in the left column, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 lines down in the left column. Ve'hosif Rabbi Yosei lomar od shevach b'tzedakah echad b'osei tzedakah. Od shevach echad b'osei tzedakah. That's a mistake. Rabbi Yosei is coming to say one more positive thing about those who give tzedakah. Ve'hu, and that is, ve'i efshar la'amod alav that you're unable to discern it. Remember, you cannot discern when twilight is. Says the Ben Ishchai that that is referring to a wealthy person. Let me explain. Pirush 
אין אתה יכול לעמוד על ערך וגודל ועוצם המצווה שלו. It is impossible to evaluate the, the greatness, the impact of a person's tzedakah. You know, when you go to Amazon, smile, and you check out, and they say, oh, you've made this impact on the charity, you know. Hopefully you all have shiviti over there. Uh, what, what is the impact? They've donated $72 in the last year to shiviti. Yeah, that's what they write. Your impact. View your impact. Really, though, you don't know your impact. Amazon can't tell you the impact of what $72 does for tzedakah. I'll explain to you what I mean. Sometimes you give 10 coins. You didn't give a $1,000 check, you gave a $10 check. But with that $10 check that said, you brought a person to life. Somebody was about to die from a sickness they had. If the person did not go drink their potion, meaning their medication that they needed, they wouldn't have taken it that day, he would not get out of his bed. A person who then gave them $10 to go pick up their medicine, and now that person is alive, so you think you only gave $10 to Tzedakah, but $10 was enough to cover the cure that they needed. That cure that they needed, now you brought a person back to life with $10. Not only that, everything good that they do in their life afterwards, you have a part in it. All the Torah they study, after they now become better, it's all part of your mitzvah. Vim can, and therefore, Mi who knows what will be the ripple effect of any kind of tzedakah that you give? Sometimes even with a little bit of tzedakah, you do something amazing. Okay, this story I really don't have. You give tzedakah, and you think that tzedakah that you give, you can measure what impact it has. So I'll give you an example. Not so long ago, Many of you donated to the project that bought this camera and this uh, Zoom subscription that we have. And this keyboard and this mouse and this lighting, and there are people contribute to that, most of you, in one way, directly or indirectly. Now you might think, okay, so I put out a few hundred dollars, we got a microphone, a lapel mic, we got a... But think about how this works. So you donated, someone donated $150 for a lapel mic. Yeah, $150 for a lapel mic. And this lapel mic records Shirei Torah. So now, when you bought that lapel mic, you thought you gave $100 to Zedakah. But you get a mitzvah every time it's used. And then that shiur gets put online. And if it's like one of the shiurim, I don't know, I don't actually know how many people watch the shiurim. I think the shiur we did on uh, candid conversations, I don't know, kosher without labels, whatever it might be. There have a few thousand people who watch the shiur. So your $150 went to make 2,700 people learn Torah. Would you know that $150 can teach 2,700 uh, 2, people Torah? You would never know that. And that's exactly what Rabbi Yosef means when he says that 
you cannot discern Ben Hashemashot, meaning you cannot know the impact of tzedakah that you give. This teaching here is there to teach you something beautiful. That you think that you're only, you know, I have a person, maybe one day they listen to the shoe. They don't give a lot of money. But I see that every week when they get their paycheck, some weeks it's even $10. Maybe $9 some week. I mean, that's time they don't have a lot of money. But every single week that money comes in. For what? So at the end of the month I donate $40, $36, whatever it's come out to be. Do you think $36 doesn't have value? When someone comes knocking at the door, they need help, and we help them. You think that doesn't have any value? We're taught to think that you can judge, you can, you can put a value to things. But the Benish Chai says that tzedakah is the kind of thing that only HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows what, what effect tzedakah has in the world. And don't think that just because you have a little bit. I was one somewhere, and I saw a person who I actually was concerned that they were going to use my money to buy themselves things they shouldn't buy. So what do we do? I took them to a not-kosher restaurant and I bought them food. Of course, don't worry. That's real. Oh, look, this guy goes to not-kosher restaurants. It's a Pesach form. I know how people think. Instead of saying, oh, look, bring that tzedakah. That's not, the world never thinks that way. I went and got them food. How much money did I spend? I know, you go to the Costco food court. How much is a slice of pizza or a, I don't know, in a hot dog in a Costco food court? You can't get a kosher hot dog for that price. A kosher pizza for that price. A kosher, now they have Caesar salads. You can't get a kosher salad for that price. For $5, for $3, for $2, you could save a person's life. Right now they might die of hunger, thirst. And you gave them a water bottle at your car window, a granola bar. You think it wasn't worth anything. How do you know? How do you know? It's a tzedakah. I was once someone's house for Shabbat. And it turns out that that person, Erev Shabbat, it's a very uncomfortable situation. I guess they defaulted one too many times in their mortgage payment. And the bank was planning to... Now they have guests. What do you do? So how short are you? Would you believe me if I said the person was short a little under $200? For $200 you could save somebody's house? Their Shabbat, their family? I mean they had money but they were missing a little bit. The bank isn't accepting a late payment that's also missing a little bit. Don't underestimate yourself. Now those who can give more, of course. But every bit of tzedakah matters to the people who need it the most. HaKadosh Baruch entrusts us with money so we can pass it forward. It's not money, so it's food. There are people who make food for other people. Do you know what that was worth to people? That's the Benish Chai. Do you have patience to do one more piece with me from Rav Kook? Yeah, one more piece. Let's look at Rav Kook together. You're going to go back to the Zoom invitation. Yes, and I, yeah. 
and the Yaz Rav Kook, it should say in English number two at the top. So it might be a few more pages in. It should say number two at the top. Do you see that? Yeah, Per Rishon. You see this page? If you go to the Zoom invitation in the Google Classroom, there'll be a PDF that says N-Aya. N-Aya, you want to open it up to the page that says on top, page 2. Listen to Rav Kuk. Rabbi Omer, Rabbi says, Ben Hashemashot Keherev Ayin. Twilight is like the blink of an eye. This enters and this exits. And you cannot discern this time. So Rabbi Yudariya de Modena told us it's the greatness of Akadosh Baruch that he can discern time. The Ben Ishchai told us it's speaking about the greatness of a wealthy person who gives tzedakah. Now, Harav Kuk is going to tell us something completely different. Nirali ten remez so, actually no, guys, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. You don't have my Enaya in front of you. You don't. You have a different Enaya in front of you. I apologize. In the Enaya in front of you, you want to find the paragraph that starts with the letter Dalid. Rabbi Yosef, can you tell us what page that's on? Page three. Page three. Page three at the bottom. I'm sorry, I'm very sorry. I thought you had this. Rabbi Yosef says, what is Rabbi Yosef teaching us? Says Rav Kook, I wish to teach us something from this argument between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yehuda who says that night, the twilight zone has time that you can discern. And Rabbi Yosef says it doesn't. Whether twilight is a substantial amount of time, or it's something that passes like the blink of an eye. And you could say, based on the words of our rabbis in the Midrash, in Bereshit Rabbah, I don't know why it says Dalid. The Pasuk is Vaykra Elohim Lahor Yom. Not Vaykra Adonai Lahor Yom. Vaykra Elohim Lahor Yom, Vilachosha Karalayla. HaKadosh Baruch Hu calls light day and darkness night. You know who invokes this pasuk famously? Rabbi Shalom Mesas. Rabbi Shalom Mesas has a teshuvah. I think in Shemesh Umagen. It could also be Tevot Shemesh, but I think it's in Shemesh Umagen. Rabbi Shalom Mesas was complaining about those people who keep what they call Rabbeinu Tam time of Shabbat. And they said, oh, but this rabbi said, and that rabbi said, and the next rabbi said, and Rabbi Shalom Mesas says, I'm livid at some of these people who think they're so pious. Says this rabbi, that rabbi, nobody can overrule HaKadosh Baruch HaKadosh Baruch told us how the day works. When it's light outside, light outside means it's day. Dark outside means it's night. doesn't make a difference, Rabbeinu Tam, this amount of stars, this amount of time... It's just day is day, night is night, Shalom Ali Israel. That's the way you study Torah. It's a pasuk, Mikram Meforashu. So he says here, the Midrash says, Vikra Elohim Laor Yom. The day is called, the, the light is called day. Elu Masehem Shud Sadikim. 
day, light, these refer to the actions of tzaddikim, says the Midrash. V'lachoshech kara la'ila, and to darkness, he called night, elu ma'asehem shel reshaim. These are the actions of the wicked, of the evil. And there's two types of actions. There's actions of light, and the actions of darkness. The actions of tzaddikim, and the actions of reshaim. V'hine bechovat ha'levavot. In the book, chovat ha'levavot. By the way, in our Ben Midash, that's how we pronounce it also. Chovat Halevavot. Whereas many people say Chovot Halevavot, the duties of the heart. Halevavot is always the duty of the heart. And Minastam, that's the correct way to pronounce the word. In the book Chovat Halevavot, in the chapter of Avodat Elohim, chapter 4, I actually attached your Google Classroom. I'm not going to read it with you tonight because we don't have time for it. But I attached for you um, an excerpt from the Chobot HaLevavot of Rabbeinu Bachye Ibn Fakuda. There's two, there's two Rabbeinu Bachyes, you know, it's not the same one. Really, it's really not the same one, if I could say it that way. Um, and I think the edition that I attached to the Google Classroom has Hebrew and English in it. So I highly recommend if you have time, it will take you about 15 minutes to read the chapter in Hebrew or in English or in Hebrew and English and just understand the, the background to this conversation. Bechovat HaLevavot Chakar, Chovat HaLevavot, Rabbeinu Bachi is analyzing. Im yesh b'mtsiyut inyan memutza ben maaseh ha-mitzvot la-averot. If there is any middle ground between mitzvot and averot, Meaning, meaning, are actions broken up into two, or are actions broken up into three? What would be the two? Mitzvot and Averot. What would be the third category? What would be in between the mitzvah and Averah? Maybe Rishut. Rishut, very good. This will be Rabbeinu Bachir. It's Rishut, things that are permissible. They're not a mitzvah, you're not obligated. They're not an Averah, it's not forbidden, but they're somewhere in the middle. Rabbeinu Bachye initially starts the chapter saying that there's three categories. There's mitzvot, and there's averot, and there's reshut in the middle. But by the end of the chapter, he concludes, that there is nothing between a mitzvah and avera. That anything that is necessary is a mitzvah. And anything which is unnecessary, already becomes forbidden. This is the opinion of Rabbeinu Bachya and the Chobat Levavot. Don't jump on me yet. Omnam yesh ladun bidvaravza. But he says there's room to argue with him. Umidivrei ha-re'avad. Na-re'avad comes philosophically, possibly, from a different camp. Yes? Beshar ha-kidusha shebesefer ba'alei ha-nefesh. Are you familiar with the book Baalei HaNefesh of the Re'avad? Baalei HaNefesh of the Re'avad, interestingly enough, as much as this book is really doesn't seem to be Maimonidean at all, Harav Kapach, it's one of his first books that he translated, or at least he published a, a corrected version of. If I'm not mistaken, most of the... I'm speaking lightly... Most of the guidelines between a husband and a wife in a bedroom that Maran adopts in his Shulchan Aruch, 
they come from this particular book of Balea Nefesh of the Ravad. He writes, Mashma Gamken, the Devar Reshut. That there is room in reality for something that's permissible. It's, it's optional. It's not an avira, it's not a mitzvah, it's just, it's just a mundane action of sorts. V'yesh lomar, and you could say, Shazer Amuz Gamken, Binyan Machloktam Ativit. Says Rav Kuk that you can say that this argument between Rabbeinu Bachya and the Ravad about whether there are two categories or three categories of human action is found here in nature. Because the Midrash has taught us that daytime corresponds to the actions of Tzadikim and nighttime corresponds to the actions of Rishaim, so then twilight zone is crucial in determining whether there is any room between day and night, correct? Is there anything between righteousness and evil? Says Rav Kuk, the answer you're going to find here in the Talmud. Twilight, which is the middle ground between day and night, they refer to the optional things in life. Rabbi Yehuda has of the opinion that Rabbi Yehuda says, yes, there is such a thing as twilight. There is something between day and night. Like the Ravad says, there is an action that's not a mitzvah, it's not an avera, it's a reshut, it's just an action. And that's why Rabbi Yehuda has a discernible time of Ben Hashemashot, of twilight. Because in his philosophy, there is a discernible action between good and bad, evil and righteousness. The Rabbi says, says of the opinion, There is no such thing in the existence of the world that is called something that's not a mitzvah and avera. Everything is black or white. He says there's no such thing that's not righteous or evil. Says Rabbi Harav Kuk that essentially the argument between Rabbi Uda and Rabbi Yosei regarding whether you can discern twilight or not is the argument between the Chovat Levavot, Rabbeinu Bachye, and the Bala Nevesh Zarehavad about whether or not there is any dis- action in life that is neutral, that's not good or bad, it's just neutral. Before we finish for tonight, I think it's important. I was talking to my wife today in the car ride about uh, the world of very, what they call them, ultra-Orthodox communities and secular studies and lack of secular studies and so on and so forth. And I think there are, in the Jewish world, two camps, but really there should be a third one. The two camps, which you might call Eurocentric, and the third one, which is the original Sephardic one. So there's the world of Orthodox Jews, I'm going to just call them that, who refuse to study secular studies. Because secular studies, if they're not 
tzaddikim, if they're not righteousness, then they must be evil. And so they don't study any other wisdoms, not mathematics, not sciences, not, not uh, geography, not, nothing, not the language, not grammars, not, not, nothing. See, I read it, not grammars. I, said, uh, I was translating from Hebrew. Not the grammar, not of English, and not, not of Hebrew. Not, they just don't study anything that has to do with what they consider to be external wisdom of the Jewish people. Then you have another camp. Another camp which is, listen, we understand the value of studying Torah. But we think it's important for people to have jobs. We think it's important for people to work, to be educated, whatever it's going to be. And because of that, we allow in our school both Limudei Kodesh, Torah studies, and what we call, what do they call them, the other Orthodox people call the other, it's Limudei Kodesh and? Limudei Chol, secular studies. Right? I think every Jewish school in, 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 in the United States at least calls them Judaic subjects and general studies or secular studies, correct? Along comes Harav Kapach. Harav Kapach writes, according to the Rambam, there's no such thing as secular studies. There's mitzvah studies and avera studies. There are things we're not allowed to study. I don't know, you can't become a worshiper of idols. Those things, that's why you can't study. In, but that was it, but now this is the definition. So what is the Mudei Kodesh? What is holy studies? Anything that assists you in anything that's a mitzvah. If it's the Torah, if it's getting a Parnasah for your family, if it's, listen, with the Rambam. How does, you know how the Rambam himself, the Rambam, when he seems to be accused of knowing too much of secular studies, what does the Rambam respond? Do you know his response? The Rambam calls secular studies something. He gives them a title. He says, in my kitchen, the chef is Torah. Torah is what matters. But I have all kinds of other wisdoms. And what are they there for? He calls them the sous chefs. The one who adds spices to the food, the one who stirs the pot, the one who... There's other people that work in the kitchen aside from the chef. Who gives the flavor? Who gives the direction? The chef. But the Imam says, you need to season your Torah with everything. Working to make a living and taking care of your family, it's not permissible to work and take care of your family. It's an obligation, it's a mitzvah to take care of your family. And anything that you study in order to be able to take care of your family is not permissible. It's not limudei chol, it's not secular, it's a mitzvah. Anything in the world that you study that ultimately complements your religiosity, that helps you in your understanding of a Kadosh Baruch Hu. You study the sciences, you study nature, you study, you see, look at the Kadosh Baruch Hu everywhere in the world. That makes you a better Jew. That means that those studies are not secular studies. Those studies are Judaic subjects, they're Torah studies. Limudei Kodesh. Our Chachamim didn't have this dichotomy in their head between Limudei Kodesh and Limudei Chol. Our rabbis studied all the wisdoms that they needed. They never once, oh, are we allowed to study? Uh, what, do you, what language do you think our rabbi spoke? More than one. You ever study Talmud and all the things that our rabbis knew? Where do you think they got it from? From Dafyomi class? Where, where do you think they got it from? Our chachamim were called chachamim because they were chachamim. They were wise people. Because wisdom is an organic part of what you need to be a Jewish person. And I think that this conversation here of is there, is there really twilight zone or is there not? I think that 
ironically, both extremes agree with each other. There's two extremes that say, no, there is no middle ground. There is no room for secular studies. They say you cannot study them. We say you must study them because they're not secular at all. Because by not studying them, you would be negligent in your obligation of learning Torah. I want you to think about that over the weekend. Apply that to all kinds of other areas in life. We see our Chachamim walking in nature. You see our Chachamim singing songs. You see our Chachamim enjoying poetry. Is it, what were these Chachamim wasting their time? They weren't involved in learning Torah? I think that that comes from a false mindset of that these things are somehow in a contradiction of each other. Our Chachamim, they didn't live in this little box over here. Our Chachamim saw all of those pursuits as the truest pursuit of understanding Kadosh Baruch Hu. Because that's the way you discover HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I believe that that's the reason why Rabbi Yaakov ben Chabib includes this opinion as any Yaakov. Because the rest of it is legalistic in nature. But this conversation, is there really any middle ground between good and bad? I think this one has ramifications that are relevant up until today. I wish everybody a Shabbat Shalom when it comes. And God willing, we will see you here for the next year on Sunday or Monday, depending which one you join. All the best.